I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show. Good evening, good evening, and good evening. Welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Dana Mark. It's about 65 degrees up here in New Jersey, but it's the six man Dean Geronimo. And as always, from NJ to NC, I'm in the studio with my right hand man, Mark Lee. So, Mark, tell me what's good in your neck of the woods, my brother. Well, you know, it's already having some uh, rain here. You know, the first. Uh, Tropical storm came and brewed up on the uh, coast, and it came down this way, and I think it's impacting our weather. So we've had some rain today, and I think we're expected to have rain for the next few days because, you know, Mr. Arthur is doing what Arthur will do, or at least what storms will do, and he's putting some rain on us. But it's cooling the temperature down, so that's a good thing. We're up there around 80s and stuff like that, and I think we're more like 60s or something. So it definitely feels more spring-like, and but uh, definitely some wet drops are falling and uh, things of that nature. I stepped outside a minute ago saw that it had rained earlier and looked like it might be trying to do it again. So uh, that's what's happening in this neck of the woods. Um, uh, you know, Dean, I hate to tell you this, but I might be suffering from uh, dance withdrawals because, you know, I've been going to do that <laughs> dance thing every Saturday evening, uh, I mean, Saturday right, in the right. late morning, early afternoon with the daybreakers, uh-huh. you know, getting my little dance groove on, trying to do some yoga. That, I'm not going to lie, I was having a hard time with it. You know, they trying to do bend exercises, and my body ain't as young as it used to be. It ain't really trying to do the bending. I can try to sway and do a little bit of what I might call dancing, but I can try to do a little swaying here, a little swaying there, but I wouldn't call it real dance moves, but they are announced because uh, you know they got new toys you know and one thing about zoom and these different platforms is, is to, it forces you to get new toys so they got new toys so next weekend they will not be having the dance party so i gotta wait two weeks till i can get my <laughs> dance groove on with my friends over there at daybreaker okay. so i might be suffering from uh withdrawal you know dance withdrawal next week so that is a possibility right. i might be suffering from dance withdrawal but then the other thing that is going on is, you know, today um, they were hoping that we would get you on in the conversation. But we did have our uh, first appearance on a new show that we're involved with on IBM TV. They named it after me. It's the Mark Lee Show. And, you know, we may change the name. Definitely, you know, we okay. want to get some theme music. So I might kidnap our theme music <laughs> and get a play in the background. But they want our faces in the place. And this time I just uh, did like a general conversation about some of my background, some of uh what we've done and some of the people we're expected to talk to on this show and then one of the producers the uh, young lady that was on our show yesterday kim she came on and we had a discussion so hoping to get some guests in hoping that you'll pop in on occasion but that's going to be going on on mondays from two to three it's a two to three slot that they've given me you know that that we may stretch it and go a little bit over whatever i know that you're doing your work time but who knows maybe on occasion you can pop off (laughs) doing lunch or something like that and just at least show your face in the place where 
while we're having some similar conversations to what we do here. And then speaking of okay. honors, I understand that you got an honor because um, I know you reached out to me about oh. a gentleman that talks about New Jersey and stuff like that. And apparently, I don't know, yes. is it this week or has it already happened that they are featuring you? So you are getting featured in this magazine that deals with <laughs> New Jersey. I need to get a copy of the magazine that they featured you in to see what they said about you because he did send me some examples of some of their work. Looks like they do some amazing things. I'm looking forward to getting him on the show sometime in June or something like that. So it looks like that's going on, but they honored you with an article. So I thought that that was a wonderful um, thing. And then, yeah, then I'm going yeah, to song, then I'm gonna let you talk about that. But okay, then uh, okay. on the more local level, uh, I just saw that our governor is thinking about going into phase two of, uh, you know, loosening restriction, things of that nature. I've seen people not wearing masks. Cases are still going up, things of that nature. So I'm not really sure how I feel about this loosening of restrictions into phase two. I mean, I guess he's getting the figures that it's a good thing in his mind, but I'm not really feeling it to be all that honest about it because I'm thinking that we might need to be uh, more cautious because I do believe in Aaron in the side of caution versus the side of non-caution. But he did say that he is thinking about it. He will make his announcement in midweek, but he is thinking about going into phase two. So that means that folks that need that haircut, they might be able to get that haircut. I think that that's in phase two and some other things that have been closed for a number of uh, weeks might be uh, reopening. So he is thinking about doing that. Like I said, I got some mixed feelings about that. So I'm interested to see what happens and if that does happen. So that's where we are in terms of what's going on here in North Carolina with uh, the um, coronavirus and things along that line. So it'll be interesting to see right. whether he actually does that. And of course, you know, like all over the country, people are getting pressured left and right to uh, loosen restrictions. I did see that I think that the churches will be allowed to uh, meet as long as they practice some safe uh, health guidelines and things of that nature. And I think they won't be as restricted in terms of the limitations. I know that the uh, churches that meet out of Haiti have not met now for months, uh, probably of close to two months or maybe a month and a half, something like that. So I'm sure that they'll be glad to, to get that news. But it'll be interesting to see whether they're going to have to do temperature checks and some of the other things that they're talking about with large size groups. And, of course, you know, it's uh, more than just one uh, organization that makes that decision because, like I said, they are a renter in the, the facilities that I work at. So the big decision would have to come from the big dogs in the in the folks that actually run the building. So, like I said, they may have gotten the memo that they can meet, but, you know, that's going to have to be a coordination conversation with a lot of different parties to see whether that happens in the next week or the next two weeks or whether folks are like me and wanting to make sure that everything is definitely on a more safe plane before we start moving in those kind of directions. And I don't even know, because they seem to be very much cautious as well, that they're going to be moving in that direction anytime soon either. I'll be definitely reaching out to my friends that are involved with that and seeing what they've got to say about that or what they're hearing in their conversations. But it uh, looks like folks are trying to move in the, the direction of opening up the country, of course, you know, we've been in the midst of a recession. Um, I want to know, and then I want to learn what you got to say about that um, honor that you got. But 
I'm thinking that we got two realities going on because I did watch and listen to Obama's speech, about a 10-minute speech, very good, encouraging words that he gave to the high school kids in that thing that was organized by LeBron and a lot of other uh, entertainers and celebrities and things of that nature. I did not watch the whole thing, but what I saw was very amazing. I probably saw about maybe, I think it was an hour, hour and 10 minutes, and I think I saw maybe about half of it. But then I was reading on Twitter and some of the other uh, social media things right after that, and, you know, folks are giving themselves credit for the economy having been wonderful. It is continuing to be wonderful and will continue to be wonderful. And I'm sitting there going, as I'm reading these quotes from certain persons, I think press secretaries, who that was, and I'm sitting to myself and going like, let me get this right. We got some record unemployment in the country. Nobody is denying that. Record unemployment. But everything's fine and dandy, according to them. So I, I want to know what altered reality they're living in, that they think that everything is wonderful and dandy. And, yes, folks are getting stimulus checks, and that is supposed to stimulate the economy, and that's what it's supposed to be used for, from what I'm understanding, from different people and things of that nature. And I'm sure that there are folks that are doing that, folks that are also buying new toys and buying new things to help their own personal lives and maybe even launching entrepreneurial businesses that they might need those new toys for. And some people just might be buying frivolous things just because they can with the extra cash. So I'm sure people are taking different approaches to the money that they're getting, whether it's unemployment checks, whether it's stimulus checks, whether it's business loans that the government was making available to people, whatever it is, I'm sure people are using it for different purposes. But I just saw two different realities when I read those different things. Like I said, I listened to Obama's speech, thought he gave a very positive message to the kids that are getting out. And yes, he did say y'all are coming in in a very unique time, a very hard time. I mean, you didn't have the problems that many of your siblings had. You didn't have the uh, true graduations that many of your siblings and your parents had. And yes, this is a hard time, but he definitely gave them words of encouragement, saying that they will probably be the ones that will come up with new solutions, including solutions for things like this. So it was a very interesting and fascinating conversation, but uh, that's what's going on and that's what's happening. So uh, that's some of my take of everything. So I want to know what you thought about the speech, if you saw it, and also if you can tell us about your being honored. And I am monitoring, like you are, the phones. And I see we're already letting up. We got like four phone calls. We'll get to you real fast. Yeah. We're going to jump on these conversations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I want to give a shout out to Mr. Clyde Hughes and AC Joseph Media. They were responsible for putting together the article which uh, came out and was printed today, this morning, on Front Runner, New Jersey. And um, you can take a look at the article. I'll email you a copy of it, Mark. The link to it. Um, it comes out as FrontRunnerNewJersey.com for anybody that wants to look at it online. It's also posted on the FrontRunnerNewJersey.com Facebook page. And also on our page, I just posted it straight talk with Dana Mark. And I don't know who, you know, I just try to try to be a better me, man. And, and somebody's always watching. I guess that's why my saying at the end of the show has that much more relevance to my life, you know. So I wasn't able to watch the speech. I actually I forgot that the president, former President Obama, was speaking. But I bet you he laid it down, and, and everything made complete sense as to what uh, you know. Sometimes the truth hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. You know, and, and 
for those who are hurt by such truth. You have one or two choices. You either accept that truth and make positive change, or you complain about it. We already know which way that's going to go. So, <laughs> we got we got some people here at the door, man. I see you. You're right. The door is lit up. Wow. So let's bring in let, so, let's bring in seven one four. That might be Miss uh, Clemente. I'm hoping that's who it is. Who is a New York Congresswoman? But let's bring in seven one four. I've got three one five, which is also outside of my nine one nine area code. And of course, I want to get to my nine one nine people as well. But let's just take a chance and see who seven one four is. And then uh, if it is who I think it is, we'll go from there. If it's not who I think it is, we'll just adjust because that's the way we do things around here. So let's let's shoot off with maybe seven one four, and then we might jump into three. And then I'll jump into the 919 numbers And who knows, we might even get more calls Because I've been on the email train And I think I've heard from about Seven or eight people So we might break the record of last week Because we had a pretty oh, good record last goodness. week But we'll, we'll see how it plays yeah, out Yeah, mixed it like a DJ last week But you know what, we're going to knock this com- uh, commercial out real quick And then we're going to get to our guest It's Straight Talk with Dana Mark, y'all This is Nikki Hall founder of Simply Radiant LLC, a woman with great passion and skills to make you look and feel better. Meet me where you are. Let's take it to another level, a new you. See you soon. Call 919-971-6243. Make your place today. All right, we're back. Call up. Area code seven one four last five di- uh, four digits five eight nine three. You on straight talk with Dana Mark? Tell us who you are and where you calling from. Hello. Do we hear anybody from seven one four? Are they there? Oh uh, well, going once they like somebody's tapping their finger, right? But tell you what, we're gonna come back to that. And uh, we'll get we'll get back into it in a second. Caller, area code 315, last four digits, 9695. Welcome to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. Uh, Marion Jones from Syracuse, New York. All right. Hey, Marion, I'm so glad that you called us and everything. Marion has been involved in a number of things, and Marion is definitely trying to help people that are in all kinds of trouble and things along that line. So, you know, definitely dealing with that and trying to deal with getting people out of trouble. And I just want Marion to talk about what uh, he's involved with and how that project that he's involved with have come about, because I am definitely one that believes that there's a lot of our society that gets laid out in terms of not being supported the way that they should be, whether that's people in the prisons, whether that's people that are um, dealing with uh, drug abuse and things of that nature. And sometimes they wind up getting uh, set aside by the rest of society. And we know that we do not want that in the least bit. So that being said, uh, Marion, tell us a little bit about the program that you're working with and the ways that you are attempting to help people out that are dealing with these kind of things. Okay. I um. I used to be a, uh, a real bad drug addict um, years ago. I'm 14 years clean right now. Um, but God allowed me to go through that so I can help somebody else out there struggling through drug abuse, being abandonment, having suicidal tendencies, and um, 
then giving them that spiritual encouragement to, to, to hang on and, and push forward. So um, here in Syracuse, you know, it's a, um, what you call a, a, a white city where, you know, people, they, 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 they like to hear you talk, but they don't want to give you that extra oomph to get to know or get to a, a, another level to help somebody else out. They want to take all the credit for themselves, you know, um, and which is bad here. Um, but I don't, I don't stop. I keep pushing. And I'm glad that you allowed me to come on here just to talk. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's such an important issue, and you're right. There are some people that have gone through problems, and we've had some other guests on the show that have gone through things, whether that was the prison system. And I don't know, did you go through the uh, penal system when you were going through the stuff that you were doing with drugs? Because we've had some folks that were involved in stuff, even some folks that were facing life. Because I remember one of my uh, friends that's been on the show, Mike Anderson, and he runs a program called Polished Souls. He actually um, was facing, I want to say, the death penalty and was, uh, you know, out in um, free in North Carolina now doing a lot of work um, using film as a powerful medium to get the message out that you don't have to feel that you are lost when you get out of these situations because he, well, he did go to the prison system and he did uh, use that time to educate himself and then later on they got him uh, out and he's been free for a number of years. So it was very good to see that he did that. So I was just wondering, in your own situation, uh, did you wind up serving any time, and did you use this time to uh, get yourself involved in uh, cleaning up uh, your, uh, not just yourself, but also just finding ways to clean up the society? Because I imagine that you were probably in an area that was facing other kinds of drug problems, so you had to go back and talk to these folks that you might have been um, supplying at one point, but now you've got to go back and have a conversation with them, telling them that you realize the errors of your ways and want to try to find ways to get them out of that lifestyle. So if you would just share some of that with us, some of your thoughts on that. Well, um, I was fortunate that I didn't, have, I, didn't, I, haven't, I didn't go to jail for any of those type of things, you know, for drugs and nothing like that. But I was just out there, you know, um, uh, um, I went to uh, like four rehabs, and that didn't work. Um, I guess I could at that time I wasn't ready to give it up, but um, going in and out, in and out. Um, but what got me to, to to straighten my act up was um, uh, hanging around my 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 younger brother who was um, into drugs, and his house got raided. And once this house got raided, um, they let me go because I wasn't there doing what they were doing. Um, it hurt me because, you know, once you get arrested, your name goes on the police blotter. And right. it was a hard thing because I got my mom. She's still alive. I didn't want her to see it. My sister, I didn't want her to know about it. But um, I think the day before I went to tell her, it came out on, on the bladder, and my phone started ringing like crazy. So um, I went back to my brother's house after it was over, and they said that he was home. And the first thing he says to me when he come up the stairs is, I ain't got no money, and I ain't got no drugs. Now, he just got out. And he said that to me. I walked back down the stairs, got in my car, and left. I said, no, nah, that, that's the I don't even want to be around it. I'm done completely. And like I said, it's October 19th, 
2005 was my birthday for not going back to drugs. Wow. That's a very powerful statement that you're giving right there. Letting folks know how uh, it impacted you and how you were afraid it was going to impact your folks and things of that nature. I mean, that's just a very powerful testimony and things of that nature. So I know that folks are probably listening and uh, wondering about how that would impact their lives as well. What's the uh, number one thing that you try to tell young folks when you're talking to them? Because like I said, here in Durham, and I know throughout the country, we've got a number of young folks that are definitely getting caught up in the drug culture. So you have been one that was involved in that world. And one of the things that they try to tell you is that they don't feel that there's opportunity, meaning that there's not economical opportunities, and they see that, what you were involved in, as a way of quick money and quick cash. We know that in the real life that there's some serious consequences. Like you said, there's the consequences yeah. of drug of uh, jail time, the consequences of death, which you definitely cannot reverse. And once you're dead, you're dead. So uh, there's all these kinds of consequences that you can face. But I was just wondering, when you're talking to these young people and they're telling you things like that, what kind of answers do you give them? Because, like I said, there's so many people that they run into this, they think about the fact that this is going to be their quick way out. I mean, a lot of times we think of the athletes and the entertainers as a quick way to get out of the hood. Or and then the hood could not necessarily always be a city hood because you can also be coming from poor areas like country towns that also can be facing poverty and folks getting drugs, involved in drugs in those country towns. So whether it's a city town, and I know that Syracuse is definitely a uh, big city, and of course Dean is over there in New Jersey near and around, not that far from New York and the other parts of yeah, they're big cities, but this happens in the country towns as well. So when you're talking to these young people and they're telling you that, you know, this is going to be their way out of poverty, um, but you did that for a while. You were involved in that. What answers do you give them to let them know that this is not the best way to get out of that situation? Um, well, like you said, most times it's, like, it's that get rich idea, you know, of having money and stuff like that. But that only lasts for so long. Um, it, it, it gets to a point where you be going to get caught, like you said, get killed, or just die on your own product. You know, um, it's the flashy thing that they want to do. Um, but I tell them, um, instead of looking at the short, the short picture, you got to take the long view. You got to think about, okay, if I do this, this can happen, and when that happens, then this will happen. You got to you got to look farther down the street. You just can't look for a block because that's, that 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 won't get you anywhere. Um, I tell them um, once some of them that comes out of out of jail and trying to get back on the right track, I try to teach them the proper way of going into interviews, uh, um, how to dress. You know, do you want to walk around with the pants sagging and stuff? So, yeah, you have to be neat. You know, if you want a job, you know, they don't want to conform to what really what what they don't want to grow up. Put it that way and be responsible. And but some of them have some very, very bad issues growing up. And I can yes, relate yes. to that because I had it. You know, and that would that thing will put a hold on you, make you think that nobody cares and you're out here all by yourself. Yeah, that's very true. That, that you're right about that. Um, I want you to stay on the line, and I definitely want people to learn more about um, the 
kind of ways that you're addressing people and if you have any ways that folks can reach you in terms of email and things of that nature. But I want to bring in David Crispel, Dave Crispel, and Dave is involved in a program here in North Carolina that is very similar to what you're talking about in the sense of trying to help people get easy access and things of that nature. Dave works with a program called the Jubilee Home, and that is uh, working with young men in the Durham community, which is where I'm based at, to create a place that bridges the gap between incarceration and full independence. So they're definitely finding okay. ways to get folks involved in everything. So uh, definitely uh, I'm hoping that you're on the line with us, uh, Mr. Uh, Crispy. So I just wanted that just gave a very simple introduction as to what the Jubilee Home is about. We were just talking to Marion Jones, who's doing some similar kind of work in Syracuse, New York. But tell us a little bit about the Jubilee Home and what that's all about. And then I also want to bring in Chi-Chi, who is an entrepreneur, and I know part of what she talks about is ways to help uh, people with their self-esteem and things of that nature. But definitely, uh, Dave, if you would, uh, please tell us uh, about the Jubilee Home. And I've got, like I said, a number of folks that I need to bring into the conversation, but we've got an hour and a half to go. So we've got plenty of time to <laughs> talk about the, these very important issues. So definitely, uh, and there'll be some lighter issues too, because I've got some entertainer types on the line as well. But Dave, tell us about the Jubilee Home. Yeah, so under normal circumstances, Jubilee Home is a is a home for young men in that transitional age, that 17 to 24 age uh, bracket who are coming back to the community from incarceration, uh, where they can come and find uh, safe and secure housing and have some assistance with supportive services, be those uh, education or mental health or substance abuse or vocational. Um, and and then also just all, the same things that all of us need to be able to live independently, so some life skills. So if you don't know how to cook when you get here, we're going to help you out with that. You don't know how to grocery shop, we're going to take care of that. You need some help getting around on a computer because things change like every six months in our world now, and you might have been gone for a little bit. We're going to take care of some of that. So that's, that's what we do in a non-coronavirus world. Right now what we're doing, uh, we, we sort of shifted gears uh, most of our referral agencies are, are uh, out, of, out of commission right now. So right now we're actually housing men of all ages uh, coming back to Durham due to early release. So in North Carolina, uh, Governor Cooper, he, he issued this order to sort of get everyone out of the prisons that they can, uh, you know, finish up your sentence in a few months or uh, you have some risk factors or a nonviolent offender. And so this kind of wave of, of people are returning to their communities um, and, uh, you know, no one wants to house them because they've heard coronavirus is rampant in some of these facilities. Uh, and so no one wants to house somebody who might be sick. So Julie Home is doing emergency housing. Uh, we're, we're receiving men directly out of facilities where they'll come with us for 14 days Uh and so when they leave us, they can go find housing. Uh, we're actually assisting them with housing in transitional spaces or even more permanent housing. But we can do that because they've quarantined with us uh, safely so they can reenter the community without uh, the stigma attached to disease or the, the danger that, that uh, would be presented if they actually did have COVID. So well, it's uh, crazy right now. We've, we've shifted gears, but we're, we're rolling right now. It sounds like y'all are rolling and doing a lot of very positive work. And I imagine that they're also having to face the stigma of just having been in the prison system because I do know that a lot of people, there have been a number of concerns around 
corona and things of that nature, the coronavirus. And one of the things that I know that I've heard about nationally is people just being concerned about the ones that you're talking about, the prisoners being released. And I definitely think that the prison system needs some major reform. So I was glad to see that a lot of these prisoners were let out and definitely uh, put in a what appears to be a more safer kind of situation. But there are some people of the more conservative ilk that, you know, would be concerned because they see these people coming out of prison and they're afraid that there's going to be an uptick in crime, even though actually statistically I think that there's been a downtick nationally in crime because, you know, just like the, well, one, not every criminal is actually a hardened criminal, and two, a lot of the people that are even in the hardened criminal element, they're not exactly um, – unafraid of a major pandemic either. So I think that we're seeing even some of the major criminal elements not doing as much crime as they've probably done in the past just because they, like the rest of the elements of society, are concerned about what's going on in the world in terms of their health. So I just uh, know that I've observed that kind of thing, and I think I've seen statistics along those lines that uh, in some cases some crimes may be down. Now, we are seeing people living together, so there might be some crimes that might be on the increase as well, because I think I've heard somewhere that some people are concerned about domestic violence and some of those crimes being on the uptick because we're not used to being in the same house with our student uh, kids, uh, kids that might be in school uh, for like, you know, the full 24-7 kind of hours. And of course, you know, um, spouses are not used to being in each other's face all that time. So I've heard some people saying that they might feel that there might be some upticks in those kind of categories, but I'm not 100% sure. I'll have to pull up some figures and see if that's still the case, but I have heard people talking about that. I was just wondering, Dave, what some of your speculations were on that, and then, like I said, I do want to bring Chi-Chi into conversation because we've got a number of people that I want to bring into the conversation at one level or another. But uh, if you just share some of your thoughts on that as you've been talking to the inmates as they've been getting out. Yeah, uh I gotta say, my my overwhelming thought is, uh, if it if it's safe to let these these individuals out now, uh, maybe, maybe prison wasn't the appropriate place for them to be in the first place. Uh, but again, like like you said, some some of uh, there, there's probably a, a disagreement between people of different ilks in our society about that. Um, our our guys that we've been able to serve and uh, had the pleasure of hosting over the last few weeks um, very few of them are looking to get into more trouble um, uh, so, some of them may uh, be carrying some burdens with them uh, you know we, we've had some, some mental health and some substance use um, uh, problems uh, with individuals coming back um, but, but the, it, it's, it's not a, they're not coming back to commit crime some of them are in need of some treatment or um, reconnection with some some of their uh, networks that have been broken but uh all in all most most people uh, a vast majority of individuals we get to work with are, are coming out to to get back in and you know they miss their family and they want to be a part and want to get a good job and all, all the same things that you and me want to do yeah exactly and one of the things that i know that people have been concerned about and you actually alluded to it earlier was the fear of not enough uh, attention paid to mental health and things of that nature, both while they're in the prison and even after they get out of prison. And I know that that's something that y'all deal with, and you also deal with the need to get people some good, solid-paying jobs because a lot of times there's the stereotype that they've been in the system, so a lot of employers don't necessarily want to hire them because they feel that they're going to re uh, 
regress back to what they had been doing in terms of their kind of like lifestyle and things of that nature. But it sounds like y'all have been doing some very positive work in the sense of trying to make sure that some of these problems are addressed. So just wondering, do you think, because, you know, there's always that conversation about whether any rehabilitation actually goes on in prison in terms of like actually learning skills and also uh, whether they're dealing enough with the mental health kind of aspects. And as an advocate for these people that are after they are getting out, what are your feelings on that? Do you think that as a society we've been doing enough to address mental illness, not just with those in the prisons, but even just in general? I was just wondering what some of your thoughts were on that idea. Yeah, certainly. Uh, on, on the prison sort of micro level, a facility-to-facility uh, atmospheres and uh, material goods and even sort of volunteer resources can be vastly different. So uh, Orange Correctional in Orange County, Chapel Hill, in the Hillsborough area of Orange County, um, they have a robust programs initiative and a huge input from the community and um, individuals there can go and work release into the community and, and many of them do. And so, so some of those individuals are really actually being prepared and, and some of them even can stay on to their jobs when they're released that they already had been working. Uh, but then some other facilities, a lot of um, some of the prisons that are in like some of the ruler parts of the state, you know, where some of those opportunities don't even exist. E- even if the prison was run by the most top-notch warden, uh, there's just not, you know, a population to serve and, and to integrate into uh, are lacking. And, and, and I think it's, uh, I, I can say with a definitive certainty um, that both inside and outside, our mental health system is, uh, shambles. Uh, in, inadequate would be the nicest word I could use uh, for for how we treat mental health. Uh, I, you know, we I, Jubilee Home sits on the corner of East Umstead and Dawkins Street in Durham, and and it's a pretty notorious corner. Uh, Friday morning, we had four ODs within an hour, uh, but because the new package on Friday morning had a high count of fentanyl in it, and uh, the the response was by Friday afternoon of police raids in the houses. And while I'm not saying that's inappropriate, you know, clearly uh, the police have some information and they acted on it and that's okay. But uh, in a a neighborhood that is ravaged by addiction, um, arresting everyone uh, suffering that addiction is not uh, any sort of solution. Uh, mental health is a solution. Th- therapies are a solution. Uh, pro-social opportunities are uh, solutions. And so I, our, our mental health, uh, for, for too long, our prison system has really had to act as our mental health. And it's, and it's uh, <laughs> a terrible idea. Societally, it is a bad policy. <laughs> Yep, definitely. I agree with you on that. Um, definitely want you uh, both to stay on the line. And, uh, Marion, while you're on the line as well, I just want to know what your thoughts on that were also, because you're up there in Syracuse, so you might have a different perspective of uh, how things are being done in the sense of mental health and along those lines. So definitely would like to hear what you've got to say about that um, in regards of uh, how you feel uh, society is doing in terms of helping people both uh, come back into society and get jobs and also just the whole concept of um, both the mental health and also the nature of um, prisoners getting jobs up there in the northern part of America, over there in Syracuse. Are, you, are there a lot of good programs to get folks back into work? Uh, no, not really. Um, 
Right now they got um, all these uh, like the Salvation Army, Red, uh, uh, a rescue mission, um, giving people bedding, and um, but they're not really giving them the help that they need because you can ride downtown because re- the rescue mission is right downtown, and they're under the under the bridge, all getting high or, or, or shooting up, you know, right out in the open, you know, and you're, you're walking down the street. And you see people leaning over, you know, in one spot, and then they're out there begging for money. Uh, they don't have no no kind of a, 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 a way of getting them to do better. Um, they just boarded up a house on South Ave, an apartment building, and um, I got rid of all the drugs right there in that particular spot. But did, but now I see them on another part of town doing the same thing. So it, it just uh, vicious cycle. In and out, in and out, in and out. Wow. Yeah, that's happening around the world in a lot of places. So I definitely um, want to continue the conversation with you all about this. But like I said, we've got a number of folks that are talking about a lot of different issues, and some of them are more lighter issues as well. So you definitely want to get back to this very serious discussion. And I'm hoping that Rosa Clemente might be the one at the bottom will be joining us, who is a uh, Congress uh, person and has been involved in politics. But um, on the more lighter side, we've got some people that are doing some stuff in terms of the arts here in the area. And they've got a major program that's going on at one of our museums that Amanda Maples is involved with. So I'd like Amanda to talk about the program that she's got going on. And I'm going to bring in Robert Crancer to talk about some entertainment stuff as well. And then we're going to come back to some of the more hard-hitting issues as well. But definitely even some of the arts are talking about issues as well. And I want to say that the thing that they're doing at the museum, and she'll tell you which museum that is, is a revolving around uh, justice and things of that nature. So, Amanda, if you're on the line, tell our listeners about what y'all have got going, the museum that you're at, and just what you've got going on. Hi, yeah, this is Amanda. Um, I'm the curator of African art at the North Carolina Museum of Art in Raleigh. And yes, I'm calling in to plug an event that I think your listeners are going to find really interesting and compelling. And I think it relates to some of the things you're talking about this evening, um, because all three of the artists that we're bringing in, which I'll tell you more about in a second, are from this younger generation that are really being brave and optimistic about our future, um, because they're thinking about it as you know, responsibility right now in our present that we have to work on in order to create space for a brighter. So they're really inspiring folks. They, uh, my, my students always love the work of these three artists. So the event, um, I'll give you the nuts and bolts now. It's a virtual event, and it's taking place this Thursday at noon. That's May 21st. Um, you can grab your lunch and tune in on Zoom, uh, and we'll circulate the link to, uh, to the registrants in advance. So we'll also be circulating uh, two episodes from a documentary series called Afropedia. It's one of my absolute favorite series of all time. Uh, it showcases the creative buzz that's happening in different cities all over the African continent. So we'll circulate two episodes from that series, two participants, and they'll watch those in advance, and then join us for a virtual discussion with these three guest artists who are all three living and working in Dakar, which is the capital of Senegal. Um, so these three artists will join me as panelists, and then two of them were actually featured in one of the episodes that we will circulate. And then a third is also an artist living and working in Dakar, but he'll be currently joining us from Paris, where he's sheltering. It's kind of a, a really global wow. event. Um, so the three artists that are joining me is Sully, there's Sully Robbie Khan. So she's a multidisciplinary artist, filmmaker, and she's especially known as a fashion designer. 
And her work deals especially with themes of the eclectic, the urban, so she's very um, interested in Dakar as a scene, um, as well as the futuristic and the surreal. So she does really amazing stuff. She works with uh, Beyonce, Ikea. Uh, the next one is Omar Victor Diop, and he's a self-taught studio photographer concerned with the diversity of African culture and experience both on the continent and also in the diaspora. And then finally, we have Alun B, who's an artist and architect whose work deals with themes of intergenerationality, female empowerment, and technology. So there's a lot of um, virtual and augmented stuff as well. Uh, so Alun and Sally are both actually featured in an upcoming exhibition that I curated, Good as Gold, Fashioning Senegalese Women. Um, and they're going to be showcasing a collaborative project. So basically, we'll have these three panelists in conversation with me about Afropedia, but also about uh, fashion and photography, taking risks and being courageous, and also thinking about the city and the future that we're all responsible for. So yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely going to <laughs> yeah, be a powerful discussion, and I appreciate it. And you're right, that is related to a lot of the things that we've talked about on this show, but also just in general, because we do find that a lot of times the artists are the ones that are at the forefront of our leadership in yep. terms of developing these kinds of conversations. I'm a big fan. I mentioned Mike Anderson, who is a filmmaker, in addition to having gone through the system, but there's also people like Pierce Freelon, uh, Kim Arrington, and mm -hmm. a number of others that are here in our community that are known for their activism work as well as for their um, artwork. I'm thinking about even like Monica Day, who is known for bringing around issues around uh, um, sex abuse and things of that nature and the ways that women can oftentimes be abused both in relationships as also just from a societal standpoint as well, both in the relationship and also ways that they can be abused by the general society. So she's dealt with some poems around that and has done a lot of great work. So we do know that the artist can be a very powerful tool in terms of talking about some of the issues that are very important to us and along those lines. Um, I'm going to see, I think Dean is looking to find out who my 518 caller is, so I'm hoping that he'll find that out. But in the meantime, I do want to bring in some folks that are doing some similar work, and they're doing it from around the country. So that is my folks, Robert Crancer and the Moving the Noise people. And then I do want to get back to some of the more deeper conversations that we're involved in. But Robert Crancer does uh, – the uh, moving the noise because you know a lot of times these things cannot be done without the support of our technicians and the folks that are behind the scenes and they don't always get the recognition that they need so he's been involved ever since he was a young child doing stuff in California uh, in California in the Fillmore area so definitely it'll be interesting to see what he's got to say about uh, some of these things going on because you know if you study the history of the Fillmore which was definitely a very prominent part of San Francisco and the San Francisco art scene, a lot of activists who are also musicians and things of that nature. So, uh, Robert, I'm sure you worked with a lot of activists who were also musicians. I'm thinking that you might have worked with people like Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and people like that. So tell us a little bit about Moving the Noise, what Moving the Noise is all about. And I think you've also invited Larry White to call us as well, so we'll bring him in. But I've definitely got to get in Ms. Clemente because that's one of our primary people that I wanted to talk to who's doing a lot of very great work. And I need to get in my entrepreneur, African-American entrepreneur, Chi-Chi, as well. But, uh, Robert, tell us a little bit about uh, the Moving the Noise uh, program and what y'all are doing. Well, Moving the Noise, and thank you very much again. Um, Moving the Noise is kind of a funny uh, historical thing that just happened naturally and at the same time unnaturally. Mr. Larry White is an amazing guy, and I was a 
fortunate enough to grow up in the same neighborhood with him. He was the old guy, you know. He was darn near four or five years older than the rest of us kids. That's kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah, I got you. <laughs> okay. But what it was is we were paper boys, and he was the old guy that was the district manager, if you understand circulation at all, in a newspaper. And uh, But he, Larry is incredible. He's a uh, very innovative man, even back in the 60s. He came up and decided to hire us paper boys with our parental permission, of course, to become the Festival Phantoms for the 1968 San Francisco International Pop Festival. So, yes, in terms of working with <laughs> I kind of walked in <laughs> to the automatic big time as a paper boy. How's that? <laughs> the next thing we That's know, we're, we're the Festival Phantoms going around to high schools every week on Sunday afternoons hitting their their lockers with flyers to the locker slots. And then Larry's radio station the following week would use it as a phone-in giveaway for the Festival Phantoms. And it just it was an amazing experiment that worked tremendously. So, uh, Sounds and great. And like I said, co- what's that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were saying moving the noise is what? Oh, yeah. So what it basically is, is it's a celebration of, the people, you know, sort of behind the delivery of all the shows. And it, go, it goes through several peaks and valleys, not just typical music industry production, but all kinds of little bunny trails along the way. <laughs> so, um, but well, firstly, you get started with moving the noise. It's just basically, we, of course, we never talk about anything that's abusive. We draw the line. Anything. It's all about fun but we want to celebrate our unfiltered approach to our careers. How's that without offending anybody? That sounds like a wonderful thing to do. And like I said, it makes a lot of sense. And I've got friends that are everything from uh, sound engineers to grips to various other parts of the uh, industry. So I definitely know how important those people are. I've worked with the Eno Festival, which unfortunately is thinking about going virtual this year. It's like, uh, can you hear me okay? Are you breaking up? Yeah, we, we hear you. Um, the funny thing is, you know, we've got stories from um, from drivers to. Am I allowed to say anything that's not a swear word? <laughs> yeah, you're, because it's okay. To, we have you, so you many can go, people along yeah. the way here that um, <laughs> we've been along the way. We have so much yeah, we fun, but we want, but we want to be, you know, we want to exhibit decorum. So with that, yeah, I think I want to bring thing. you Larry because Larry's background is crazy. We both went on. He went on after '68 to become a Warner Brothers record executive. He also went on. This is the cool part. He also managed uh, Davy Jones from the Monkees for 20 years. Remember the Monkees? I do remember yeah. the Monkees. I remember the TV show, The Monkees. Hey, hey, the Monkees. I definitely Larry. remember that and, and everything. Uh, Larry, and then I need to get to some of my other political people, but I definitely want y'all to stay on. Like I told uh, Robert, that's a show that's like my version of a dinner party, so we have all kinds of conversations going on. But, Larry, just to give us a little bit about your background and even share a little bit about your involvement with the Monkees, and if you've had any involvement with kind of our activist musicians, when I think of activist musicians, I think of people, like I said, like Joan Baez, Richie Havens, 
folks like that. So if you've had any experience with any of those, just share those experiences. And then I want to talk to Rosa Clemente and Chi-Chi, and then we'll just get into a full conversation for about an hour with all of y'all on all kinds of things. But definitely, if you would just really quickly share with us your uh, background and some of the things you were involved in, and particularly if any of them are entrepreneur-oriented. Yeah, I grew up in the mid-60s in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, it was a time when, when the British invasion was happening with the Beatles and the Dave Clark Five and Herman's Hermits and the animals and the zombies and the kinks and on and on. Uh, and I, I was in high school and loved the music, and uh, garage bands were becoming a new phenomenon. And there was a band in my high school called the Beethoven's, um, spelled like Beethoven spelled his name, you know, B-E-E-T-H-O-V-E-N-S. And uh, I was the photographer for our high school paper, and the uh, quarterback of the, the football team was walking with me across the, across the field after a game and told me that his, uh, he heard my name on the radio because I also shot pictures for KYA Radio when I was in high school and was friends with some of the disc jockeys. Anyway, that led to me managing his brother's band called the Beethovens. And um, uh, we, we, the first thing I did as their manager was change their name to the Beethovens, spelled B-A-Y-T-O-V-E-N-S, because we were in the Bay Area. So that's where I first started. I got started and pr- promoted the dances and concerts. Uh, I did a concert right when I was right out of high school with the, the band Them, uh, whose lead singer was Van Morrison. And uh, oh, wow. for the association, yeah, and uh, so a lot of shows, concerts in the Bay Area, and then in '68, I, I uh, promoted a concert at the Oakland uh, Coliseum with the Monkees, and became friends with uh, with those guys pretty quickly. And uh, a few years later, I was Davy Jones' manager and worked with Davy for the next uh, several decades. Um, so sounds great. Yeah, and great. definitely want to share more of the stories. Yeah, I was going to say uh, I, I'm now in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, on the board of directors of the American Song Archives, and uh, we have the Woody Guthrie Center here and the Bob Dylan Center uh, here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So those were uh, uh, probably two of the most uh, um, politically uh, um, political songwriters uh, in, in American history. Um, oh, no all, doubt that Woody, Woody Guthrie and, and Bob Woody Dylan Guthrie. are definitely – yeah, so I, no I don't work with that. them. Uh, I don't work with them directly, but I work with their archives. <laughs> Understand, and those archives are very important archives, and I'm glad that somebody's doing that because that's one of the things that I'm afraid of is that sometimes when we have these famous people that are getting up in age, their stuff is not saved. I've got a good friend of mine that was involved in the theater community, and he passed away, and I know that his son, uh, Garland Jr., that was Garland uh, Thompson Sr., was uh, trying to figure out ways to archive the stuff that he had because he had a number of plays that he was involved in. He worked with people like Ruby D, Ossie Davis, a number of folks that he worked with, and even some up-and-coming playwrights. And a lot of times that stuff was not archived or has not been archived. So archiving is a very important thing about what we need to do. Now, uh, definitely want everybody to stay on the line, but uh, I, like I said, I'll try to get to everybody within that first hour, and i got two more to get to, so I'll definitely 
This is my great honor to have Miss Rosa Clements on the show. She has been involved in politics for a number of years and actually was involved as a vice presidential candidate a couple of elections ago with the Green Party. And, of course, she stood up for so many great things, definitely trying to get Puerto Rico its uh, statehood. And, uh, well, actually, I think she's more for the independence of Puerto Rico, if I remember correctly. But she will uh, clarify that and is definitely an activist in the um, – Afro-Latin community and things of that nature. So definitely a voice in our community, and it's my great honor to have her on the show right now. So, Rosa, one of the first questions I've got to ask you is I've had a number of friends that are always telling me that they're kind of like frustrated with the fact that we have a two-party system. We've got the Republicans and the Democrats, and sometimes people feel that they're the same. And there's all these other parties, like the Green Party that you ran for. I had a friend, Lamont Lilly, that ran under the, um, I believe it was the Communist Workers Party ticket. And, of course, there's the um, Libertarians. There's various other parties. But when you talk to people in general, they say that voting for those parties doesn't make any sense because there's no chance that those parties are ever going to win. I actually think that we need to work to a system where we get away from the Electoral College and where we also have more people having true representation. So if we're going to have parties, more people are actually being represented by those uh, different parties and everything, and not just the Republicans and the Democrats. So it seems like we're always stuck between those two. And while there are some differences on social issues and on maybe some financial issues, there are a lot of things that are very similar. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are on whether we can ever truly have a third-party candidate that can win something. And then I also want to hear your takes on what uh, we're doing in the sense of the brown and black voice being heard because then the coronavirus is going on. We know that we're being impacted heavily and a lot of people are worried about the fact that we're being impacted heavily. And of course, we also know that there are some overtones of race war things that are going on in our society as well. And some of that fueled by the person in the white house, but that's just my thoughts on that. I was wondering what some of your thoughts are. Oh, well, Mark, thank you so much for having me and all your listeners. I really appreciate it. I'm going to just correct you right now because Clement is um, more English-based, but I want you to say, my brother, it's like Roberto Clemente. 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 I can get that corrected. (laughs) There are a lot of Clements out there, and there's not too many Clementes out there, which is always like a source of pride for me because I kind of know all of them (laughs) in the United States of Puerto Rico. But, um, yeah, thank you again for having me. And, I mean, I feel definitely at this moment, right, like this is the moment for all of us to say, obviously a two-party system has not been working for any of us, particularly the working-class people. Um, I've been in the Green Party for a very long time uh, um, because I publicly broke with them after this last election where 45 was elected. I would say that um, I I still believe that there needs to be a third or fourth or fifth party in this country, a party that actually is based on working-class people, a party that sends Congress people to – uh, do their job in the House of Representatives or Senators that are not all multimillionaires. Ninety-five percent of those who are Congress people and who are senators are millionaires upon millionaires upon millionaires, right? So, you know, I, and I really believe, like, the time that we're in right now, everything is changing so rapidly that people can't organize for tomorrow. We're, like, organizing for right now. But... um. This year I did switch 
um, to the Democratic Party. I wanted to support Bernie Sanders, not only in my words, but in my actions, and as well support the movement behind Bernie Sanders. You know, so I, like so many Sanders supporters, are, are saddened, and, um, you know, it, 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 it was a that Bernie couldn't get through the primary for a lot of reasons, and part of the reasons why is because the Democratic Party leadership just did not want him to be the nominee. You know, so I, in this election, whether I vote for or sign in or write in a vote, I will be voting for Bernie Sanders this year. Well, and I was wondering about that, because a lot of people are of the – Fear that that's kind of how 45 got into office last time because there were some people that were definitely very passionate. And it sounds like you were very passionate as well about Bernie's campaign, and they didn't want to vote for the person that now currently has that position and is going through some problems of his own revolving around an issue that I know you're very passionate about, which is the right of women to speak their truth. So, um, and you know, there's a certain person that is saying that she was abused and things of that nature. Now, whether that actually is the case or not, only time will tell and whether we get further evidence or not or whether it was a political oh, thing yeah, that was you're going talking on in about the Joe, Yeah, you're talking about Joe Biden and the um, the rape allegations by Tara Reid to Joe Biden. But for me, this is what I, I mean. For me, when it comes to voting, the ideology that, that leads me to my conclusions is W.E.B. Du Bois, who in 1964 wrote, I'm not voting for a two-party system, right? So, like, he told us why he didn't think that a two-party system would work for particularly black people in America. But, you know, also when it comes to the last election, we have to always remember that Hillary Clinton, whether we voted for her or not, won the popular vote. And right there, that should be the critique. How does she win the popular vote But the electoral college is the one that ends up for um, Trump, right? And I think that's very important. I am not a Hillary Clinton fan in any way. I would never vote for her. In 2016, I voted for Jill Stein and Ajamu Baraka. But I think we have to really, like, also understand that there were a lot of people, particularly in Michigan, that not only did not vote for Hillary Clinton, they didn't vote on for Jill Stein. They left the presidential candidate unmarked. So there were a lot of people that went to the polls in Michigan that voted Democratic Party line all down and did not vote for Hillary Clinton on the Democratic Party. You know, so I don't – I think when people say, oh, well – the reason Al Gore lost was because of Ralph Nader. No, the reason Al Gore lost is because those votes were thrown away. And in 2016, the reason why Hillary Clinton didn't win is because she did not go to the states like Michigan and Wisconsin to get the full Democratic vote. You know, and I think it was a lesson. And now we are here in 2020, and unfortunately the way things are going, it, it seems maybe that – 45 will win again. It would take no. a lot of women. I know people don't no, like to hear no, it, but, uh, you know. <laughs> wow. I, I know somebody said something, but you were breaking up, so I couldn't hear you. Um, that was me. No way. No, no way. Oh, yeah. You know, I live in Albany, New York, so I don't live in New York City. So Albany, New York, and then the upstate region of 
Buffalo, Saratoga, um, Rochester, Oneida. Like, there are a lot of Trump supporters on the block I live on in Albany, New York. We're dropping like and, flies every day. I, I will make a yeah, public I, radio bet. You know, and and I think also, like, from this election, how many people will go out and vote? Because the virus is going to come back in full force during the cold months. And will people be willing to risk their lives, stand online for hours and hours to vote? So I think we're in a a situation right now where we just don't know day to day. But I know that me, as Rosa Clemente, whether Bernie is on my New York State ballot or not, I will be writing in Bernie Sanders. And, Rosa, you actually raised an interesting point. I've heard people talk about this, and I was just wondering your thoughts on this. Um, do you think that we can ever get to vote by mail? Because I know that there are certain people that are trying to get rid of the post office, but that's one of the ways that people are thinking about definitely getting more people to vote is the whole vote by mail kind of campaign. And I'm definitely with you on the Electoral College. I think that we should have gotten rid of the Electoral College a long time ago. But definitely, what do you think about this whole concept of vote by mail, and will that free up people's concerns about going out to the polls if we have a um, resurgence? of the coronavirus in the fall during the election time. Oh, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I do believe that voting by mail is absolutely, a, it should be what's happening. What you're, We have to be mindful of what we're hearing Donald Trump say right now about there's a bigger reason why his government and those who work for him want to cut the United States Postal Service because they don't want mail-in voting. Right, And he's been very clear that if votes come through the mail and he loses, that it will be fake. I think what we as organizers have to do. Are we allowed to chime in here? Um, In a minute, I'm going to bring you on and everything. I want to hear more about what uh, Rose has got to say. So what were you saying? And then I'll bring uh, Robert and Larry in to chime in. But definitely continue your thoughts. So so what I was um, saying is that, you know, I think voting by mail is a complete possibility, although I believe that at this point in our country we should have compulsory voting like Australia has or Puerto Rico has, which is if you don't vote, you get fined. And that actually, like Puerto Rico, you know, where my people are are and come from, Puerto Rico has the highest voting rate in the entire Western Hemisphere. 92% of people in Puerto Rico will vote when there's an election. In the United States of America, less than half the population who can vote votes for president. And when we go down the line on senators and Congress people, it's usually like 24% of a population that will vote in their congressperson or their senator. So what I'm I'm saying is that I think that the Trump administration is preparing not to leave the White House, whether they win or lose. And I think we have to be very mindful, right? Like, if he's the commander-in-chief and he loses, do people really think he's just going to leave and let Joe Biden come in? I mean, like, forget the fact that I'm not voting for Joe Biden because he's an accused sexual assaulter or rapist, right? What I'm saying is if Donald Trump were to lose numerically – how are we going to get him to leave the White House? Because his son-in-law just said last week, well, we'll see what happens. You know, there's a lot of fake news. So they're already setting it up. 
for him not to leave office or or not to be taken out of office. And if he's the commander in chief, who does that? And then how can we come together as a people where we're not socially distancing in a protest for our rights? I really believe that people really need to think through these things and understand where we are right now. Where we're at right now is that we're in a chaotic situation where we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. So we have to prepare for the possibility that he might win or he loses and might not leave the office unless physically taken out. And I mean like well, removed, not other things that will have the Secret Service come to my house. I, I think we just have to be real about it. And, like, at the end of the day, look, most of my family is poor working-class people living in the Bronx, living in Florida, in Orlando, working for Disney World. All my family is broke right now, and they're broken, like so many other working families. Is that is, – is the checklist for my family, like, go vote first or go get unemployment first? You know what I'm saying? So – I am I am cautiously afraid that if we do not come together in the ways that we can at this moment, how do we get rid of an administration that literally does not care about poor, working, or middle-class people? How is that going to happen? And I'm down to organize around that for whoever can tell me how it goes down. Yeah, and we got got ways. You're absolutely right about that. Um, I know that you've been a big fan, and I was just wondering if you could talk about where we are with that for Puerto Rican independence, and I know that that's been a conversation that a lot of people have been big fans of, but do you think that that will happen under a Democratic administration, or do you feel that that's some ways away before Puerto Rico can have the independence that it so richly deserves? I think the second part, I think it's a way it's a little bit more. What I what I will say is that post Hurricane Maria, um, or let me say pre Hurricane Maria, that many people in Puerto Rico, a lot of my elders who lived there, my family would always say, "Well, what would we do without the U.S. government?" And the day after Hurricane Maria, our people realized that the U.S. government was not there for us and created mutual aid organizations um, that for the last few years have been incredibly growing. Agriculture has been incredibly growing. There's been really a synthesis of many Puerto Rican human rights organizers and activists, whether they're gay, queer, trans, whether it's women, whether it's working people, whether it's Afro Boricuas from Luisa or La Pela that have come together. And we did achieve a huge victory this summer. We got rid of a corrupt governor, Ricardo Procejo. Unfortunately, second in command is now our governor, Wanda Vasquez. So for me, knowing the the history of my people, particularly the resistance so that we could be an independent nation has always been there, but it has really highlighted post-Maria. And really our, our goal towards independence is for the United Nations to recognize us as an independent nation free of American colonialism and imperialism. And a concrete example I could give you, Mark, is when Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, we had 55 countries that wanted to give us aid, and they were not allowed to 
give us aid because we are a colony of Puerto Rico and a colony of the United States. And under the Jones Act, we cannot trade with other countries. Cuba wanted to send us doctors. China was wanting to send us medicine. And Venezuela wanted to send us oil. And they were stopped from doing that because we're a colony. So while the United States government let my people die post-Hurricane Maria, many countries who wanted to help, the United States government said they were not allowed to help. So I think now there is a whole new generation in Puerto Rico that knows the only way for us to uplift ourselves is through a tactic of self-determination, but also that we finally get free of the United States having the colonial control around us and are able to build and rebuild our country independently, which then allows us to work with the international world and not just the government of the United States. Yeah, I think that would be a wonderful idea. One of the things I've always been curious about, and I was just wondering your take on this, um, I identify primarily as an African-American, but I do have some Native American roots as well as European-American roots, and I have uh, family members that uh, only identify primarily with their Native American roots and everything. I sometimes wonder if we don't have enough of our joint communications, meaning enough alliances between, say, the black and the brown, the brown and the red, and things of that nature. And, you know, a lot of times the roots are very similar. I mean, definitely some of the Puerto Rican roots are involving around tribes like the Mayans and stuff like that. So I was just wondering, do you think that these alliances are taking place enough, or do we need to work on improving the alliances? I know that definitely during the Malcolm X era, there was definitely Malcolm working with members of AIM and other organizations like that. So I was just wondering, how do you think we're doing in terms of alliance building among our black and brown folks? I know that definitely the new generation seems to be doing more of it than maybe the older generation, in my opinion. But I just wonder what your thoughts were. And then one other quick question I had was, I know some people uh, are big fans, and I am as well, of uh, AOC, and some people consider you to be like the predecessor of AOC, that she's kind of following in your footsteps and that you were the, uh, some people might say, the better version of AOC, but I think you both have strong suits and everything. So when people make that parallel between you and AOC, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, look, um, from the minute a Alejandra was running, um, my father's business is actually located in her district, and that's where I also grew up and have family roots. So when the minute she announced she was running, I was 100% supportive of her. Um, and I, I, I like the comparison in this way, like, you know, I made a decision in 2008, which was not popular, but here comes AOC in 2018 that had the tenacity and also the social media skills to say, I'm here, I'm a waitress and I bartend and, I, you know, I can also run for Congress people, uh, for Congresswoman. And I know that everybody in the district that voted for her really believed in her and a lot of young people waited on lines for hours to vote for her. I think she's incredible. Um, you know, I don't know how far she'll make it in electoral politics because she's just so dope and so real, you know. But, um, you know, let me tell you now, if she was over 35, I would be telling her to run for president, but she's not. And she's not eligible to even run for president or vice president because of her age. Um, and and I have a good working relationship with her, 
And I know that 100% she always listens to what communities are saying. With that said, I think there has to be compromise when she's working with hundreds of other congresspeople and senators, and I think she's navigating that really well. Um, And then the other part about black and brown. I grew up in New York City. I've been based in New York State. I lived in Maryland, and I lived in California. And for me, I think when people might say there's a divide around black and brown. Personally, I identify as a black boy Dorican, so I don't use the brown label for myself. I think in a way it's a little problematic, and the reason why I, I view it as problematic is because we live in a racialized society, particularly, quote, Hispanics or Latinx people have always been seen through a lens of identity and not just of race. So I'm very purposeful that I say I'm a black Puerto Rican and my child is a black Puerto Rican, my daughter. So with that said, there are so many examples of are groupings of people, black and brown, that have worked together for decades, right? And I think that often gets lost when we only talk about oppression and we don't talk about resistance. So have there been problems for me when I work and walk into, quote, predominantly African-American spaces? Yes, where people are like, why are you here? You're Puerto Rican. And I'm like, I'm black. And they're like, okay, cool. Are there problems with with Dorican and other Latino folks that don't want me to talk about my blackness or my descendant of Africanness? Totally. But I've been in this work for 25 years. I've been mentored by incredible people. And, um, you know, when I tell people I'm a black Puerto Rican, that's what I am. But part of what I tell people is it's not only ethnic and racial identifier, for me to be black is also to be part of the black radical tradition in this country. And with that said, I always highlight the fact that I might still have privilege against other um, brothers, sisters, and non-gender conforming people that are African American, because I am white. I'm not dark. I am light-skinned. I have some African features, but I'm pretty much mindful that when I do talk to especially younger people, I specifically talk about the African-American struggle in this country because that struggle has allowed me to not only racially identify as racially black, but has also shown me the incredible work of resistance within all our people of African descent. And one of the other things that I want to try to bring in, TTM, definitely I think uh, Robert may have had some comments that they wanted to make to some of the things that yes. you were saying and everything. But um, the other question I had is with what's going on with corona, I'm wondering if some of the issues that have been very important to us have not been swept underneath the rug. Because like I said, I remember before corona came, we were very much involved in the conversation around migrant rights and the dreamers and things of that nature. And I've heard very little of that conversation lately. I mean, I brought it up on this show and I brought it up on some other things that I've been involved with. But as a general rule, it's a conversation that seems to have been swept underneath the rug. Like, I'm not even 100% sure. Are the detainees still over there in California, or have they been moved away like we were talking about with some of the prisoners that have been released? I don't know what's going on with the Dreamers just because all the conversation has been around (laughs) this pandemic that we're in the middle of. And I think that that's definitely a world crisis, so I understand that. But there are other things going on in the world as well. So I just wonder, where are we at with these kind of conversations around Dreamers and deportations and things along that nature? And, of course, 45 trying to build his fence. Yeah, well, first, everybody should know that 
um, incarcerated people, whether they're in prisons, jails, juvenile detention, immigrant detention, are still in juvenile detention in immigrant jails and that. Like, there has not been that many vulnerable people released, right? Um, you know, what I think is happening with the coronavirus, like any other uh climate catastrophe or scientific catastrophe is that the most vulnerable or the most hurt, you know, so there might not be big conversations happening around dreamers, but there are big conversations happening around how the, the uh, meat, the people who work in meat factories in Charlotte, North Carolina and South Carolina and in Iowa are all sick. And most of those people are undocumented people, right? And that's what we're beginning to see. Like, the situation in Iowa is very dire. Um, There have been over 1,200 people that have coronavirus, and a lot of them are undocumented and will refuse to go to a hospital for many reasons. I live in New York State, and I have friends that refuse to go to a hospital, because they're afraid. That has nothing to do with COVID. They're having like a panic attack. They think they're having a heart attack. They're having a diabetic attack, but they're not going to the hospital. So actually in New York State, our numbers of dead people around COVID are going to exponentially rise because people are being found in their apartments and what we call the projects because of the density of New York. We don't really have the real numbers. Um, so for me, I stay connected to groups like the Farm Workers Alliance, who's keeping a running total of not only how many Latinos are getting sick in these meat processing plants, but also being very aware that half of these jobs that have been lost, half of them will never return. So now we've created another underclass within the system of capitalism, right? So as a Puerto Rican, because I'm an American citizen, I've always worked on the politic is that I have much more to give than an undocumented person, so I should be on the front lines all the time as a Puerto Rican with this second-class American citizenship. you know. But I do think that people have to really understand what is happening with this coronavirus, that just because things are opening up doesn't mean anything. And, you know, we don't know. what It's now saying that it's going to attack every organ and it's just not a respiratory failure. There are now kids dying of this other disease, Kawasaki, but they're COVID-19 positive. So, you know, as an organizer, our job as organizers is to, like, be out with the people and organize, but now we're being told to stay home. And personally, I'm heeding that because I have an underlying illness and my daughter has one, and my husband is an actually essential worker where we had to find our own PPE so he could be safe at work. So I think those that are the most vulnerable are going to be the ones that we lose the most, but also a lot of undocumented people just don't want to come out and seek any type of help because they're afraid that they're sick and they're going to get deported to a country they've never been at or haven't seen for a while. But people should know that everything we know about immigrant detention, all those people are still in. They're not releasing anyone on the federal level. Some states are better. Cuomo in New York State has not released one one person at all, and there's been 17 deaths 
in the prison system in New York State, whereas Gavin Newsom in California has released thousands of people that were there just for petty crime like shoplifting or getting on the bus without having, you know, the transportation money. But here in New York, our governor is, is, is good at everything else, but he's horrible um, when it comes to many of our people who are incarcerated, especially elderly people. Like a 70-year-old man in a wheelchair should not be in sensing anymore. You know? No, no doubt. He's in, he definitely should yeah. be out if he's in the wheelchair and things of that nature. That doesn't, doesn't yeah. make any sense whatsoever. I was just curious, and I want to bring in uh, the conversation with the uh, other yeah. two that were on the call earlier as well. But um, how do you feel that we're doing in the sense of our prison system? I know we have uh, Dave Crispel and Marion Jones who have both been involved in the uh, working with the criminal system and trying to get people when they get out to find um, good housing and things of that nature, particularly the Jubilee House here in North Carolina is what Dave's been involved in, and then Marion was a former uh, person involved in the drug culture and definitely got involved in the whole criminal element before cleaning up his act and helping others. So I was just wondering, as a general rule, how do you think we're doing in the sense of the prison system? I am of the belief that that's an antiquated system and we probably need to get rid of it or at least definitely do some serious reforms. But then again, I also want to reform the education system and reform a lot of other institutions that need reforming than or probably back in the 18th century kind of mode of operating. I've worked with a testing company, so I know that we've got to improve education. I would say we've got to improve the prison system as well. I was just wondering what your thoughts are in terms of where we are in the 21st century on those important issues. Do you think that they need to be improved more in detail, or are you happy with the way that they're being done now? Well, I'm an abolitionist, so I believe in no police and no prisons, period. That's what I believe. Um, and I've been I've been doing this work for 25 years, and I would say 80% of the people I have encountered who are in prison are in prison for three reasons. They sold marijuana, which is a, now white people are getting rich all over this country, by farming and selling marijuana. They were in there for a petty crime, um, a bad check, or jumping a turnstile. Or third, they were in there for um, um, as as a parent making sure that your child is going to work, I mean, to school. In fact, Kamala Harris, when she was the attorney general in California, wrote a bill that um, incarcerated parents, mostly African-American, Latino parents, because their kids were skipping school. So um, in New York State, we have vast number of prisons and from Albany, New York all the way to Buffalo the only job in towns is the prison. So of course people living in the town don't want to see a prison go but also crime has gone down in the last 20 years and people refuse to like read the statistics but crime has gone down in the last 20 years but the incarceration rate of African American, Asian Pacific Islanders, Native people, and Latinos continues to increase, especially in juvenile in juvenile um, detention. So for me, I I I don't care how many like Black, Puerto Rican, Asian police are. When you live in New York City, the people that are brutalizing you are not white cops. It's usually black, Latin, or Asian cops that are brutalizing you. And if anybody has watched the footage from the last three weeks in New York City where cops were giving masks to people in Central Park, but 20 blocks on the Lower East Side, they were grabbing a black 
black uh, standby who was recording and away from the police. This policeman was a Latino police that had his neck in the, not had his knee in the neck of a bystander because he supposedly was not wearing the mask the right way. So for me, coming from New York, I think that social distancing is the new stop and frisk. And when I say that, Stop and Frisk was a program that 95% of its people that got caught up were African-American, Latino, young men and, and women, and that's what they're using now. They're going around the subways being like, oh, you have a mask, or you don't have one on, and they're brutally attacking women with their child that's in women's hands. And why? She had a mask on, but she didn't have it over her nose. But you body slammed her and took a child away. That's what we're seeing just in New York, which means we're not seeing what's happening in North Carolina or Texas or Florida or Washington and Iowa or Illinois. In fact, the state of Illinois' highest contagion area is Cook County prisons, mm-hmm. Right. And and I say this also, let me just say this, Mark. I say this also as a person whose brother-in-law is incarcerated in Sing Sing Prison in Austin, New York. There's been seven deaths in Sing Sing. And when we don't hear from my husband's brother, my brother-in-law, on a daily basis, we are afraid because he is telling us there's no mask. There's days where CEOs don't come in, which I don't blame the CEOs for not coming in if there's a breakout, and they're not getting food. And people are dying inside their cells and not being removed from like three or four days later. So this is if this is happening in New York, I can't imagine what's happening within all the prisons and jails and federal detention centers and immigrant detention. These are our most vulnerable people that this country sh- showed that they wanted incarcerated but refused to even give them masks or hand sanitizer because hand sanitizer in a federal pr- prison is considered contraband. Wow. So that's where I stand. Abolish Abolish it all. And, in fact, people who love capitalism before this now see how capitalism doesn't work and how you see it doesn't work because this country is able to provide health care and able to provide stipends and food for people to live. And this is something that the federal government is saying, we can't take care of everybody. Well, now you are. And we need to, as organizers, really envision a different world and and build what we want that world to look like and not the one in the past. Yeah, definitely. I think we definitely have to make some improvement. I actually want to bring Dean into the conversation because Dean works in the prison system in New Jersey as an officer, so I want to know what his thoughts are about how that's doing. And uh, T.T., if you're on the line, um, that was my last person that I had to get to. That's a person that's involved in the entrepreneurship field. So, T.T., tell a little bit about what you've got going on, and if you've heard uh, any of the conversation, if you've got some things to say about what we've been talking about. So uh, I'm hoping you're still on the line. Yes. Hi. Good evening, everyone. Um, Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, we hear you. Yep. Great. Yes. So, yes. I'm TT. Thank you so much. Lots of fruitful discussion and conversation. That, and honestly, everything that has been said, you know, as a as a woman of color, applies to me and the community that I care so deeply about. 
Um, so, and I also, I happen to be a social worker. I'm a public health specialist. I wear many hats, but, um, as you mentioned, I am, um, an entrepreneur. And that brings me to, uh, I wanted to discuss, um, something that, you know, was raised, uh, the, the issue of unemployment and how, like, unemployment, it's interesting because, like, you can look at it from so many different facets, you know, like, I've I've seen a lot of articles that have been focusing on unemployment rates rising among older adults, which is, like, a huge alarm, especially if you've worked all these years and you're, you know, you're trying to, you've been saving funds um, and you are trying to slowly but surely work your way up to retirement, but then also, um, you know, amongst younger people, you know, I I am I haven't even hit thirty yet and uh I'm also just trying to make smart financial choices. So just a little bit about myself. Um as I mentioned I'm a public health specialist. I'm actually working I'm based abroad. So um I under normal circumstances should be in Uganda. Um I'm from North Carolina and I found my way back here um because we were evacuated. And um, I, the platform that I have, you can look me up online. Um, my website is www.sproutly.online. I offer, I actually offer resume writing services and cover development services, cover letter development and LinkedIn profile um, development services. And um, interestingly enough, I thought, okay, well, you, uh, coming back to the U.S., that uh, a lot of people probably wouldn't be as interested in the services that I offer um, due to the fact that, um, you know, there was such large rates of unemployment. But I actually found that to be, I, I found that not to be the case. Um, in the in the last month, like on a weekly basis, like I received tons of inquiries and requests. And I think that, you know, in hindsight, uh, looking back, I think that it actually makes sense, Um that a lot of people are actually take even for those who have not lost their jobs, that they're actually taking the time to update their resume, to get the letters of recommendations that they've always been meaning to ask for, and to brush up on their skills given the fact that there are so many um, companies who are trying to, you know, in an effort, it's, I call it social marketing, just make themselves look good. You know, there's so many platforms, and I'm happy to share, who have offered uh, very reduced rates for online courses to focus on, you know, maybe you might be interested in learning how to, you know, ranging from I've seen courses where for people who want to become life coaches or courses for people who want to up their um, data analytics skills. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I do, and um, I'm happy to answer any more questions if you have. Okay, and definitely, and we are seeing a lot of people that are having to develop these skills on a regular basis, and you're so right that we're seeing more and more people have to develop these skills. I know that my good friend, uh, Sri, and exactly, he does a lot of stuff around digital media, and he does these COVID talks on a daily basis out of New York City, and he does the read-along with the New York Times, but he talks about the fact that this is a time for many of us to learn new skills, and also it's a time for many of us to even up our activism game as well, because I definitely think that we are seeing more activists doing the conversations like uh, um, Ms. Clemente said, doing them on Zoom calls versus the hand-to-hand mm-hmm. kind of conversations that we're right. used to. I wish that there was more of the 
you know, face-to-face kind of conversations because I think that that's where the better activism is done. But, you know, we're in a new era, so we have to do it the way that it is being structured for us until we open up society more. But we're definitely seeing more of this going on. I'm hoping that, you know, once everything clears out that we can have uh, Reverend Barber's um, Poor People's Campaign really get back to the meat and uh, potatoes kind of way that he was organizing before this happened, and it won't have to be a virtual Poor People's Campaign. I really hope that we can get out there and beat the streets, because I do think that sometimes beating the streets is the way that we have to do. And uh, I'm curious to hear from everybody on this question and everything, and you brought it up, actually, Ms. Clemente, um, which is the whole concept of the other parties, and I have actually noticed that there have been an increase in people that are from different political parties, be that the Green Party, be that the Libertarians, be that whatever, even the Socialists, that are doing a lot more of the local politics. And we do know that a lot of times politics is at the local level, the true politics that influences you on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, we're we're concerned about the federal thing, we're concerned about federal laws, but a lot of the day-to-day stuff, whether that's the day-to-day policing, whether that's the day-to-day welfare kind of programs, but that is on the local level. So I know that we have a um, city council person. It's actually our mayor pro tem, who I want to say considers herself to be a socialist. If you ask her, that's kind of which way she would put her political uh, spectrum and everything. We've got definitely some that are belonging to other parties. I know that in uh, Minnesota, um, the wrestler ran, and he ran under a different ticket. It was not either Democrat or Republican, that being Jesse Ventura when he was uh, running for office and won the office. So we've definitely seen over the last decade or so more and more people that are actually campaigning as not falling in either the Democratic or the Republican side. Now, they do have to get the support of the um, the different alliances, because a lot of these cities are run by um, PACs. So they do have to get the support of the PAC. And sometimes the PACs are tied to a party, but not all the time. A lot of the PACs are open to at least having conversations. So just wondering uh, all of your thoughts, and I'll get, I think everybody's on the call. I'll make sure everybody's uh, got the blue light and everything. But I was just wondering what your thoughts are in terms of the local level being a level that more of us can actually do um, part, politics that isn't party based, for lack of a better term. Well, I mean, I wanted to see if anybody else wanted to talk before I talk, not to dominate the conversation, so I'll wait. Well, Ms. Kalinda, I, I joined you in voting for Jill Stein in 2016 and and, and did so knowing that, um, you know, in, in the scheme of things, that vote was, was not going to determine the president. Uh, but yeah. did so from a from a conscious standpoint that says uh, if we have two inferior uh, candidates from the big parties, uh, I, I do not have to agree to choose one of these inferior candidates. I, my my vote is uh, is for the person I deem uh, best for the country, and if if it doesn't mean playing big politics, so be it. Um, we, I know in Durham, Durham is a little bit of a, you might say a niche uh, political market. Um, uh, it's, it's a, it's a safely progressive area, and so our our candidates on the local level can sort of openly proclaim. Uh, I, I believe our mayor Pro-Tem is a democratic socialist, um, and and be open with those things, which is great on the local level. Um, it, it's it's just hard to. Um, it's hard to know how, how we build a multi-party system on a federal or state level uh, with the with the barriers as large as they are. 
uh, and and parties, the two parties actively working against the system. Um, no, I mean, that, I, that, I actually, I live when I ran for um, vice president, I lived in Charlotte, <laughs> so I was actually yeah. based in Charlotte, <laughs> and my sister and all a bunch of my family is currently. Um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing a lot of work. So, I mean, for me, what I've been seeing, I, and, and I've learned this lesson post-covering Hurricane Katrina in 2005, um, covering the, the uprising in Charlotte around um, Black Lives Matter in Ferguson. I've been on the ground a lot. Mm-hmm. And what I always see that I'm always like, yes, the people come together is what we call mutual aid, right? So it's like, listen, the government ain't coming. It ain't coming to Puerto Rico and it's not coming to Charlotte, but how do I secure my block, right? And for me, the way I work is how do we secure our block? How do I make sure everyone on my street that's an elder is getting their food, is picking up the mail, is checking in on them when we haven't seen them in a day or two? Um, what does it look like for my family in the Bronx and need support, and what can I send them, and who can I check that can check in on them? So I really believe that at the end of the day, most of us always come together as organizers, sometimes regardless of ideological differences, and say, how am I going to secure the hood? How am I going to secure my family first and foremost? And I think that's a big thing. And I think it's really happening regardless of the government response over COVID-19. Look at what people are doing, whether they're sewing masks or, you know, giving a paycheck to another family. Like, to me, I've actually seen what it looks like to be a member of a community. Of course, then I'm angered at the fact that our taxes pay for the incompetence of the federal government response. So that that makes it incumbent on someone like me or other people who might have privilege where, you know, I luckily, because I own my own business and was with a credit union for eight years, I was able to get a PPP loan. But so many of my other friends who own a business were not able to. So I feel an extra responsibility to not only like in the old school Catholic and uh, um, black church, but also Catholic ways, like as Catholics, we're supposed to give away 10% of our money to organizations. And that has always resonated with me. And that's just me. And then there's everybody else who's on this call or listening. I truly believe like when human beings come together, we're way better than another government. But I believe too, like, yo, the government being incompetent in Puerto Rico, the United States, we have to hold them accountable. And it's usually people like us that can hold them accountable. And lastly, I think like our communities are looking for voices of reason. And I believe everyone I heard on this whole show is a voice of reason. You know, like, how do we make sure people are okay? I think what we have to realize now, too, lastly, is that the mental health toll this is taking on people is is what we're not really talking about. I've talked about my own struggles with depression and bipolar for a very, very long time. And when I decided to, like, come out and say, well, I kind of gone through this, there were many of my comrades that were like, no, don't do that because no one's going to hire you. And I said, no, this is the truth. There's a lot of people that deal with mental health. But now we're seeing 
not only the suicide rate going up, domestic violence is going up and addiction is going up. So we're going to need social workers like the sister. We're going to need people like, wait a minute, even though I'm okay, maybe everyone around me is not okay. And then I'm also looking at the fact that where there are we don't know what's going on, that people are coming together without masks. And you're like, I'm going to I'm gonna err on the side of caution. I'm going to listen to the scientists. The scientists are telling me to wear a mask and stay away from people. But what we're seeing in big cities is that people don't want to do that. So we're going to see a second wave of this that might be just as destructive, but also, like, let's keep our mind on people who are having mental health breakdowns at this time. There's no way... In the United States, when we've always been, like, touted as the first in the world and the best in the world and the most exceptional country in the world, where we're having the most deaths in the world. we got to point that out, but we also have to be ready as organizers to secure our community, whether it's a one-mile community or a block. And that, to me, is what organizing means right now. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things that I'm wondering, and I'm curious to hear with, and we got people of different ethnicities on the call, but um, one of the things we're hearing about is the organizing that's taking place on the other side, because we're seeing people organize like that whole organization around, you know, reopen the societies, and that definitely took place here in Durham. It took place in Wisconsin with people carrying AK-47s and all kind of like weapons and everything. Now, if a Black Panther had done that in California, we already know what would have happened because we saw it happen in the 60s and the 70s, and I was a child at that time, but I've read enough books to know that how they were responded when they went into that kind of environment. But now in the 21st century, people of a different yoke are able to do that. And I'm just wondering if, if everybody's on the call, and like I say, we have people of different ethnicities on the call, there is some concern about whether we're gearing up for some sort of either a race war or a class war. And I'm just wondering what people's thoughts are on that and how can we counter it if that's what's going on. Um, this is Marion. Um, what i got to say is that um, I think it's going to never be a, a, a race war type thing because people are tired of seeing um, – us getting killed, you know, for no unnecessary reason. Um, the fact that they're carrying guns now is um, is showing us that they don't care about us either. And one thing is that we're not our ancestors. We're a whole new breed of black folks, and they're not going to just sit back and, and, and take it. That's my point. I can definitely see that. What are your thoughts on that, uh, Ms. Clemente or Chi-Chi or anybody else on the call? Well, look, I think, you know, if that was a bunch of black people um, who legally had arms, that wouldn't have happened, right? So, like, you know, obviously all uh, the protesters that we are seeing, mostly white, who are saying open up, are also people who get all the services done by black and brown people. So they're like, I'm good, open up. And you're like, well, we're the ones that are working with y'all, whether it's your cleaning, your food, you know, doing your lawn and all of that, you know. And and I also believe that because we have a president who, in my opinion, is a megalomaniac psychopath, that he gets covered for all that. 
Now, knowing what I do know, particularly down south of, of particularly the African-American struggle down south, there's also, like, African-Americans down south that also have what they need weapon-wise in case anything happens. You know, I live on the East Coast, so a lot of the rhetoric here is, like, nobody should have a gun, where I'm more like one of my mentors um, who's a professor at Georgia State University, his name is Dr. Akinyeli Omoja wrote a book about we will shoot back armed resistance in the Mississippi freedom movement. And, you know, at one point, I like, honestly, I told my sister who lives in Charlotte, like, yo, if it goes bad, I'm going to go to you because at least we can weaponize ourselves. And I know people don't want to hear that. And I know, like, you know, we're not supposed to talk about this in black or brown America. But let's look at what white America is coming to the table with. Rhetoric and weapons. We saw this already two years ago in Charlottesville. So I'm a believer of what we call self-determination. Again, how do we protect our our block, our city, our hood? And one of the best organizations, if anything comes out of this interview with you, um, Brother Lee, is that one of the organizations that I love and support is in Jackson, Mississippi, and they're called Cooperative Jackson. And they spent 10 years getting buildings that were abandoned to not only grow a garden, a farm, but to also do 3D printing. And they're doing a lot of the printing for masks and people in Jackson, Mississippi, and they're all black and brown folks, right? And I'm like, well, we need to talk about them more. Like, they're making the masks to give to our people. Because at this point, again, I think we need to listen to the science. And, and unfortunately, in Puerto Rico last week, because of the testing, the cases went from 12% to 57% of the people who got tested have COVID-19. And they can trace it back to one person, a cruise ship that docked in San Juan, and one of the people from Italy had it, and her her having it spread to over 580 people in Puerto Rico, and then they went home and spread it, and they didn't know. So, you know, for me, I'm like, anything we could do to protect our community is important. And as an organizer right now, it's actually very frustrating for me because I can't be out in the streets. I can't go out and, well, I, I guess I could, but I would not want to because I don't know if I have it. So I've made the purposeful decision of, like, I don't think I have it, but I also don't want to, like, go see my mom and dad and have it and get them sick. And I think a lot of us are struggling with that. And it's just a whole new world, you know. So for me, talking to activists, organizers, um, people you bring on your show, um, Mark, are absolutely important for me to make decisions, you know. And I really yeah, listen but- to what people are saying, telling me what to do. that I, I trust Yep, and I appreciate that, and I, I love, and hopefully you can make that connection with us and the folks in Mississippi because I would love to have them on the show to talk about what they're doing because definitely uh, that's part of what we like to do is talk to the activists and the uh, uh, the core group that we talk to are activists, educators, creatives, and entrepreneurs. So that's kind of our core group that we always try to have on the conversation. So definitely I'm hoping that you can help me make that connection some kind of way because I would love to have them talk about the work that they're doing. And and anybody else that's on the call that has those kind of people, definitely we love to have those kinds of conversations on a uh, 
regular basis. And I'm, you know, I've seen a lot of people that are doing this strong activism work, and I'm hoping that they continue to do the strong activism work that is going on. And you're right, it is a new day and a new era, and we're having to find ways to do it in this new day and new era. Um, I just wanted to bring uh, Dean in. Dean, uh, you heard them talk about the uh, prison system. Uh, Dave mentioned it, and Marion did. And like I said, you've been involved in that for a number of years. So I just wanted to see if you wanted to chime in and see how things are going in New Jersey in the sense of who's being uh, released or if there have been any masses re- releases in New Jersey since you're there on the front lines in that particular fight. It's a lot. Uh, it's a more extensive process than just opening the door and letting them out. So, you know, it's a little difficult because they have to be screened. A lot of them are saying, you know what, I'm close to being released. I'm going to go ahead and stay in. So on one end, Mm. you know, those who are on the outside say no one's coming out. Those on the inside are scrapping and trying to get these approvals done. But then when you go to somebody, and I can kind of understand it, why would I go home for 30 days on a bracelet when those 30 days are up, I got to come back, but I get out in two months. You know what? Let me do my time right here. So uh-huh. it's a crapshoot with that right there. No other um, pandemic or like when we had MRSA, we had SARS and all of that stuff wasn't as um, destructive as this one. So it's brand new for everybody. You know, it's not something where we could say we weren't here in 1918 when the Spanish flu was taking people out. So this is all new for all of us. And it becomes a little difficult because you got to make sure that they don't have, because also remember protection of the public is the first priority. So we can't let that uh, do with the major crimes out because, he doesn't qualify based on protecting the public. You know, and then we go down, how old are they? What pre-existing conditions do they have? Those are the ones that get the priority, but then there's an approval process that, that comes in with that. So it, we're stuck. We're all stuck. People want their family members home. We want to try to get out as many as we can, but we still don't know how long this thing is going to be. Yeah, 49 states opened up. But like I said before, just because it's open doesn't mean we have to go. So there are going to be some people that will be, um, they're going to run for the hills. As soon as the stores open, they're going to be right there, no mask on. They're going to say, all right, we're back to to normal. Everything is fine. Well, if you listen to the doctors who say this will be back in the fall, well, it's already May, so you figure in four months, We'll be doing this again. How bad or how we've learned how to handle it depends on us. So it's a, it's a, it's just something that we're gonna to have to take day by day, minute by minute, and try to see if we can all make it better. Yeah, well, I agree with you on that, Dean. And one of the other things that I'm just curious about, and I wanted to bring up Miss Clementi and everything, um, once again, is um. Your the city that uh, I mean the area that you are very uh, passionate about have been passionate about all your life and that being Puerto Rico. You actually just mentioned something. And I've got a friend, a dear friend, that is very much involved in the cruise industry, and that's like one of y'all's major economic uh, forces. And there's 
many people that are thinking that that industry is pretty much toast, at least for a few years and everything. So that's going to have a serious impact, I'm thinking, on Puerto Rico because, yes, Puerto Rico has other industries, but definitely the cruise industry and the tourism industry, particularly some of the big cities, is a major part of the resources that y'all have in the sense of people going there because of the lovely water, the lovely beaches, the attractions, things of that nature. I know the one cruise I went to, I was actually trying to get away and try to see some of the real city because they do try to gear you to the things they want you to see. But I didn't have that much luck in doing that because I'm one of those people that if I go to a place, I want to get into the real heart of the place, not just where they want to take you. But I'm just wondering what your what your thoughts on that because I do have friends that are, you know, regular uh, cruise goers, some from our community, yeah. some not from our community, and that's a major industry in Puerto Rico. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The, um, you know, in Puerto Rico, we've been suffering since the 2008 recession and ex- exacerbated over Hurricane Maria, and now it's exacerbated again because of the cruise ships. Like I had said earlier, they were able to track the spread from um, someone that was on a cruise ship from Italy that came into San Juan and was a super spreader, as they called them. So, and they didn't know, obviously. So, um, but I think what's happening in Puerto Rico is that, especially post-Hurricane Maria, there was no more um, investment in what a government or a cruise line ship could do. You know, with that said, in Puerto Rico, there are many people on the edge. Our employment rate is 60%. Um, there has been no increase in food stamps, and also we've had a lot of doctors that have had to leave Puerto Rico, most of them going to Orlando, Florida, which why now Orlando is predominantly about to be Puerto Rican, because um, the federal government and state governments were not giving Medicaid reimbursement, or I'm sorry, the federal government was not giving reimbursement to hospitals and doctors. Um so for me, um, you know, in Puerto Rico, so much of my family is there, and really they're, like, depending on mutual aid. Again, they're not paying, pretending, uh, waiting for the government, but it is a huge blow to not have tourism, you know? So it's also, like, what's happening in the United States, right? Like, the reason everybody, quote, wants to open up is because businesses are suffering, as opposed to being like, everybody stay home, let's get a handle on this, let's pay people to stay home, and let's, you know, save families and, and businesses. And that is definitely exacerbated in Puerto Rico, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're winding down. we got about uh, seven minutes or so to go. So I wanted to get comments from everybody as we wind down the show and everything. So I wanted everybody, and I'll start with you, Ms. Clemente, to give ways that they can get in touch with you. And if you've got any uh, positive message that you want to share with people, either about activism or about life in general, it could just be any thought that you've got that you want to share that you haven't already shared or a positive message that you want to give the audience. And like I said, we'll start off with ways that people can reach out to you if they want to uh, contact you or have comments on what you've been saying on our show or just along the lines of uh, how they can reach out to you um, and just a positive thought. So I'll start with you and then I'll work my way up. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. I I really appreciate it. I really appreciate a nationwide 
um, audience. For me, I'm an organizer. Whether I'm stuck in my house and can't leave or I'm walking down the streets, I'm going to figure out a way to organize and also bring up organizations and people that I think are doing incredible work. So anybody could reach me via Facebook. Twitter or Instagram at Rosa Clemente. And in fact, tomorrow night I'll be launching my new show called Disrupt the Chaos, where I will be having organizers um, that are doing incredible work from all over in the country. And I just want to say at this moment, you know, for me, I'm a historian. I'm about to finish my PhD, and I'm a historian of black and Latinx history. For me, when I'm feeling very low, I'm feeling alone, I'm feeling down, I go to W.E.B. Du Bois or Ida B. Wells or Pedro Abisu Campos from Puerto Rico and really read their words and understand that when it comes to history and time, we're on a continuum. It doesn't break. But what makes the continuum happen is people like us. So I really just, again, appreciate the opportunity to hear everybody and what they're going through. And, you know, as an organizer, I say we will win. We might not win today or tomorrow, but eventually we will win. I appreciate those words and very powerful words to be said and everything. A real quick question before I get to Chi-Chi, and it just popped into my head. I don't know why I actually thought about it earlier, but you did highlight the fact that you are a Clemente, and I'm wondering and I'm thinking that you (laughs) might be related to the great baseball player Roberto Clemente. My father is his third cousin, yes. Okay, good. So I definitely have that connection as well. Um, Yeah. Chi-Chi, uh, it's all you now, so a word of wisdom, a word of thought, as well as how folks can reach you to learn about the resume and the social work and the different other things that you are doing. So it's all you now, Chi-Chi. How would folks reach out to you and a word of uh, thoughts or a word of wisdom that you want to share? T.T. might have disappeared on me, so I'll come back to T.T. Oh, before we get um, off. Oh, uh, there you go. There's T.T. Hello. Yes. I, I didn't catch that. What did you say? The question was um, if you would share how folks can reach you if they want to learn more about the resume writing and the different other things that you are doing, and also if you had, like, a word of wisdom or a word of thought that you wanted to share with people as we wrap up the show. Oh, absolutely. So, like I mentioned, well, first of all, thank you so much for this platform. Um, it's great because, I mean, especially during these crazy times, it's very important to stay, keep up, um, stay informed uh, with the current politics and just resources out there. Um, yes, yeah, so if you would like to reach me, I'm available um, via email at info at S-P-R-O-U-C-L-Y dot online. Um, and I'm a senior resume writer. I've been writing for about, been writing CVs and resumes and updating people's documents, even for people who are trying to get back into school for the last seven years. Um, and yeah, my website again, www.sproutly.online if you want to check it out. Um, and as a social worker, I offer a lot of mindfulness. Um, I'm really big on mental health. And so... Um, what the quote that I would like, I, I, instead of a quote or a word of wisdom, I actually would like to share an affirmation that I like to tell myself um, on a regular basis. So the affirmation that I would like to share is, 
I believe in myself, take risks, and follow through on my ideas. Um, and for me, that's very powerful because, you know, a lot of us might be filled with all kinds of doubts, fears, anxieties, um, and so it's huge to be able to, to empower oneself to, to move forward um, and to do whatever it is that they've always wanted to do. So thank you. I appreciate you. Marion, it's on you. I'm coming at it from Syracuse. The thought that you've got, a positive thought that you want to share, as well as ways that folks can reach you as you've been doing a lot of this kind of work to help folks that have gone through the kind of things that you went through in your life and that you don't want them to follow those same paths. So, Marion, tell us how folks can reach you and any words of uh, wisdom that you want to share. Okay. um, You can reach me. My email is Levi Jones. That's L-E-V-I, like Levi Pants. Jane, Levi Jones, 55 at yahoo.com. Name of my company is MLJ Recovery. Um, Where's the wisdom? Just stay safe. Just stay Those are very safe. profound words and very good words and just very uh, quick, succinct, but something that we all need to be thinking about on a regular basis. Dave, with the Jubilee Home, it looks like before we get to the uh, me and Dean, it's going to be on you. So, Dave, uh, what words of wisdom do you got to share and uh, what things do you want to let folks know about how they can reach you and the Jubilee Home? We know that you'll be going back to the old uh, model of what the Jubilee Home used to do at some point or another when we get past this pandemic and crisis that we're in. But y'all are doing some very positive work that even fits within the crisis in terms of getting people out in the uh, workforce and getting housing and things of that nature that is different than what y'all usually do. But definitely share with folks uh, about the Jubilee Home and uh, how they can get in touch with you if they're in the area and need to get in touch with you, and also a word of wisdom from you as well. Certainly, yeah. Any, anyone who's, who's looking for us can find us on Facebook. This is Jubilee Home or at our website, which is jubilee-home.org. Um, and and I, I I try to take in wisdom as opposed to giving out wisdom, um, but but I will say um, you know in in this in this crisis moment, and I, and I don't want to be trite. Um, it, it's it's horrific the amount of death and brokenness and loss that we're experiencing. But uh, this is also a moment when the breakdowns of the systems that have failed so many people. Um, in our world, in our nation, uh, the the breakdowns are being highlighted like never before. This this is uh, such an opportunity to make surprising friendships and begin to organize across lines you didn't think you were comfortable organizing against because so many people, so many, so many people are being impacted by the failures of our health care, of our incarceration systems, of our education systems, of our political systems. And um, I I take hope that, that people that have never really seen themselves as political beings or movers before are starting to say, uh, how, how can we do this better? Um, and, and, and those that are in tune to those conversations need to jump in there and say, let, let me talk to you about some of the ways we can make this better together. Um, and and I, t- I take hope from that. I, I hope that amidst the despair, maybe some maybe some apathetic eyes will be opened and uh, numbers can switch uh, switch and, and, and engagement can increase around some of these things. Definitely, and I appreciate that. Um, Dean, what you got to say, and then I'll come back and tell folks 
about some upcoming shows. I know next week, because of the lovely holiday called Memorial Day, we are, even though many of us are still confined in our houses and everything, we wanted to still honor people's wishes to have holidays. So I know we're taking the holiday next Monday and <laughs> we'll be airing a repeat. But next Monday on the other show, I will still be having that one. So that will be a live show on Memorial Day from 2 to 3. But uh, in terms of us and uh our uh, platform, we're taking a break on the uh, 25th for Memorial Day, but we will be back in the uh, 1st of June, and I'll be back very shortly to tell you about that, and also a special guest that we'll be having as well, because, you know, we have our network as well, and so we've got a special um, episode. We did several of those last two weeks ago and three weeks ago, where we did not do one this week, but we do have at least one special and maybe two, but I'll tell you about the one that I'm positive we're having, and that's uh, one that I've already lined up, and I'm doing that interview in the morning. But, Dean, uh, I know you've got some thoughts about what we've heard, so I just want to know what you've got to say about what we've heard, and then I'll come back with the uh, guest that we'll have on the 1st of June, because when we come back, it'll be June 1st, which, by the way, is one month from my birthday. My birthday is July 1st when I will hit the big 5'8". So when we come back, we will be one month away from me being the big 5'8". <laughs> well, we, we thank all, all of our guests for being with us tonight. Very interesting and enlightening conversation. So we, we definitely thank every one of you for stopping by and and just spending a little time with us, you know. But um, it's Straight Talk with Dana Mark. We usually on Monday nights. 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Don't forget to catch us the replay tomorrow afternoon on the Skyhawk Radio Network. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you miss either of those, we are on a number of platforms to include Radio Public, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, Castbox, Podfollow, and right here on Blog Talk Radio is Straight Talk with Dina Margaret as a part of the Level Radio Network. That's what we have here. We have the Chef Gang Podcast, the Just Podcast, the Black Girls Guide to Surviving Menopause, and we hope to add. Uh, oh, don't forget the Let's Talk About It radio show is a part of our network now, and we hope to add the Mark Lee show as well. So we keep going, we keep moving and grooving, 73 countries, all 50 states. And like I always say, when you walk outside your front door, it's showtime, and the world is your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. With that being said, it's the six-man Dean Geronimo. Y'all have an outstanding week. We'll be off next week, so we'll see y'all in 14 days. And just one other quick thing, just to let folks know, as I promised you, I will tell you what we've got on June 1st, a month from my birthday. We've got an author who has written some books that deal with all kinds of things dealing with ethical issues, but they've written them in the sense of fictional books. So uh, Miss Bloom will be on the conversation. We will also have somebody involved in the field of yoga. And we've got King Wojak, a rapper from the state of Washington. So he will be talking about early hip-hop and the industry of hip-hop. And he will also be talking about his experience of working with an artist that I know that Dean is familiar with because Dean follows the rap industry and follows the hip-hop industry and knows a lot of the greats of that era. So I am sure that he knows of a certain artist from the West Coast by the name of Sir Mix-A-Lot. And yes, this gentleman had the pleasure of working with <laughs> Sir Mix-A-Lot. So he's going to be talking about what that was like and about the Washington industry, how that uh, 
rap industry and hip-hop industry was impacted by that and things of that nature. I did talk to the producers while I did the show, and they did tell me that I can't get the audio track. So, yes, I will try to send you that, uh, or you can uh, you grab them from the uh, website that they've got going, and we can definitely add the audio. And then tomorrow I will be doing an interview with Nadine Hack. She's definitely involved. She lives in Switzerland, but she has been involved with her company because Global Consulting, which does a lot of management and executive coaching, and she is known internationally for her strategic relational engagement and things of that nature. So, you know, we talked about connectedness in the field of activism, but she's about connectedness in the field of corporate America, but she's also involved in some activism as well. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at her webpage, and there's a picture of her actually talking to um, Bill Clinton, and of course, she's worked with some other greats as well. She's actually had the pleasure of working, if I remember correctly, even with Bishop Tutu, and she's definitely been involved in a lot of things, including what she calls the long relay race for justice. So she's involved in justice and how connected this makes everything possible. So I've got to get up about 12 hours from now, well, actually maybe about 11 or 10 hours from now, get ready for the interview because she's in a different time zone. So sometime tomorrow afternoon, I've already got the stream yard lined up. So sometime tomorrow afternoon, I'm hoping that I'll be sending you a link to that, and you can put it on whatever day we want to, maybe Wednesday or whatever. All right. Because I know we've got, like you said, several of the other programs. So we'll find a slot for that. We'll find a slot for the audio of the uh, show that I did, which will be weekly as well. So, uh, you know, we're just trying to grow this network. And as uh, Ms. Clemente said, we are definitely creating a powerful network, in my mind, of some amazing folks that are having engaging conversations. So we're just building it up. You know, that article that Dean had, so hopefully we'll build up our New Jersey base. But I don't know about you, Dean, and then I'm going to wrap it up because, like I said, you know, we're over a couple of minutes already. But just think about what we had today. We had guests from California. We had guests from the area that you're very familiar with, the New York, New Jersey area. We had guests from North Carolina, and, uh, you know, we definitely, there might have been some other places that I have forgotten, but we definitely covered uh, quite a bit of the country, and we definitely talked about a bit of the country that we didn't have guests from, because Ms. Demente talked about some of her experiences with Puerto Rico, some of her experiences around California. So, you know, if there's some people that are listening that want to hear about what's going on, not just in the nation, but the globe, because remember, Chi-Chi talked about the fact that she had some background with Uganda. So we definitely, definitely had some engaging conversation that touched on many parts of our nation and our world. And as uh, we like to say, and that's one of the things we encourage, we don't bring on guests that are going to hold back. They're going to tell you what they think, and they're going to definitely uh, let you know how they feel about things. Because uh, whether it's people that I have brought on or whether it's folks that Dean has referred me to that I am now working on bringing on, and there are a number of those that are already in the pipeline, we are always bringing in guests that are going to be engaging in their conversation and let you know their feelings, including some things that you may not agree with, but they're going to definitely cut it, cut it right to the chase, get right to the chase, and let you know what they are passionate about. And I am a big admirer of that. I think you are as well, Dean. So that being said, we're going to bounce, and uh, we're going to see y'all in two weeks. That's right. Next week, we've got a replay. I forget which replay we've got. Uh, Dean, if you're still on the line, do you know which replay we've got? Otherwise, I'll pull it up real quick and see which one we've got that's going to be the replay. It looks like the replay on the 25th 
will be the one about African drums. So that will be the one that dealt with Brad Simmons, and there was some other conversation involved with that also. So we're going to have a replay that deals with African drums and a lot of other conversation was involved in that. So yeah, definitely the African drums was involved, and we talked about some of the uh, great folks that were involved in that kind of work. So definitely uh, it should be a good conversation to go back and listen to. But in the meantime, if you've got guests that you're interested in bringing on, like I told Miss Clemente, I'm hoping that she'll refer us to those folks from Mississippi. But if you've got folks that you would like to engage in, you can reach us on our Facebook page or you can reach me at my personal email, bluesradio at gmail.com. So that's all. And until two weeks from now, peace. And definitely, as one of our uh, guests said, stay safe, stay uh, protected, stay definitely engaged in your community, but also be sure to be safe.